0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to AccessibleWorld.org, A World View of History Room. Um, tonight, we have a very interesting book to discuss. Our facilitator is Don Queen, and without further ado, let me, uh, let me bring on Don here. The date is uh, August nineteenth, two 2009.
1: Thank you, Bob, and good evening, everybody. Tonight's book is Over the Edge of the World, Magellan's Terrifying Circumnavigation of the Globe. The author, Lawrence Burgreen, gives a detailed account of the world as it was at the beginning of the Age of Discovery. He also provides an almost day-to-day account of Magellan and his mutinous crew, as they engaged in one of the world's great adventures. While there's a great deal of detail in the book, uh, the interview tonight covers most of the highlights of this book. Lawrence Bergreen is the author of many biographies, his latest being Marco Polo, which is available on NLS. Here is the interview.
2: This is Talk of the Nation. I'm Neil Conan in Washington. On this holiday set aside to honor Christopher Columbus, we're going to focus on the achievements of another great navigator, the man who accomplished what Columbus actually intended to do. Indeed, the voyage of Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan is described as the most important in the age of discovery by author and biographer Lawrence Burgreen. His latest book is called Over the Edge of the World, Magellan's Terrifying Circumnavigation of the Globe, and he joins us now from our bureau in New York, and welcome to Talk of the Nation. Thank you. Glad to be here. And not to diminish uh, Columbus on Columbus Day, but uh, why do you think uh, Magellan's journey was the more significant?
3: Well, I think you could compare it to, if you were to uh, make a rough comparison, to astronaut flights, uh, Alan Shepard going up for 15 minutes and then John Glenn circling the globe, uh, with Columbus being Alan Shepard and Magellan being uh, more like John Glenn. Magellan's voyage was about 14 times longer than Columbus's. Uh, Columbus was uh, out of sight of land for a couple of weeks. Uh, the longest leg of Magellan's voyage and across halfway across the Pacific um, kept him out of sight of land for 98 days amid tremendous suffering and deaths among the crew from scurvy. Um, it was a really an epic voyage and of course included the navigation of the Strait of Magellan and discovery of the Strait of Magellan near the Antarctic Circle which many naval historians consider the single greatest achievement of the age of exploration.
2: Florence Bergreen, if um, if all of what you say is is true
3: why, uh, why, why do not we have a Magellan day? well that's a very good question he is actually a man without a country because he was Portuguese, who defected to Portuguese chief rival Spain. Again, to make an analogy to current day or recent politics, this would be like a nuclear physicist defecting from the Soviet Union in the 50s or 60s to the United States. Well, the Portuguese have you know had tremendous disdain for Magellan because of his disloyalty, and the Spanish never trusted him, even though he sailed for Spain with the backing of King Charles, King Carlos. Uh, he was sailing uh, with a crew that was often opposed to him the spaniards or castilians aboard uh, staged a number of mutinies so he had difficulty winning respect and uh, this meant that he really lacked a place a clear place in history until uh, the 19th century when some english language historians began to champion a rather romantic view of magellan and 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 gave us the view that we have today that we know magellan the first man to circle the globe Of course, he was killed in the middle of the circumnavigation.
2: Indeed, he was uh, killed in in the Philippines, and we'll get to that as as part of the story. But uh, one of the things that you write about is that, yes, uh, the Portuguese regarded him as a traitor. The uh, Spanish, uh, because of the way uh, the investigation of these mutinies turned out, uh, regarded him with uh, some great suspicion, even after Mm. one of his ships finally made it, all the way around the world and it was, uh, it was the Elizabethan English who uh, really began to
3: champion his cause uh-huh. They wanted to take uh, a leaf from Magellan's book um, Magellan was widely admired in England which as you know successfully challenged and defeated the Spanish Armada a bit later, in 1588, and uh, po- translations of Magellan's exploits, as recorded by his official diarist, Antonio Pigafetta, um, were very popular in England, um, of all places, uh, which saw itself as a possible successor to Spain for control of these seas. That really means control of the world's economy.
2: And why was it that, uh, control of the world's economy at the time, a much smaller proposition than it is today. Absolutely. Nevertheless, uh, we, in that clip that you may have heard at the uh, beginning of the program, you compare spices uh, at the time to the oil
3: of today. Mm -hmm. Why were spices so valuable? Um, They were more than just uh, food flavorings. They were used for medicinal purposes, for aphrodisiacs, uh, to preserve the dead, um, so they, could be, they were used for a number of things, and they were the most precious commodity around, and they were symbolic w- with luxury. In the Bible, you have references to myrrh and frankincense, and ever since biblical times in Western culture, spices uh, meant luxury the way we associate diamonds and gold with something very, very valuable today. And um, for all of those centuries,
2: uh, spices were brought overland on the uh, the famous Silk Road. Uh, That was disrupted uh, at about this time when the the Turks took Constantinople, and
3: that kind of changed everything. The disruption of the uh, traditional trade route for spices meant that European countries were looking for new avenues, and they took this as an opportunity to try and make an end run around the traditional merchants who did this, well, most of whom were Arabs and most of whom made unbelievable fortunes in trading and, and uh raising the, the price of the spices so their idea was to sail across the ocean to go wherever the spices were from and Magellan's idea was to sail to the Moluccas, the spice islands and, and in other words go right to the source rather than relying on these slow and now disrupted overland routes
2: and the, the, the prices of these things were, were fabulous, uh, uh, it's hard to compare monetary values of the time and today uh-huh. but you write for uh, a seaman to be able to bring a bag Of uh, I think 17 pounds of cinnamon back to Europe
3: uh, would have been able to, to to buy a whole ship, which was the greatest technological marvel of the age. That's right. Um, A seaman who could uh, bring this back either legitimately or or smuggle it back uh, was pretty much guaranteed of having a safe retirement. And, of course, if you were a captain like Magellan, not only would you make a fortune, you could have lands that you could rule, that you could pass on to your heirs, uh, and you could have titles heaped on you, and uh, you would really win a place in history. So the stakes in this game were very
2: large. Indeed, recognized so by uh, what turned out to be Magellan's great foe, a, a
3: bishop named uh, Fonseca yes <laughs> Fonseca is, he was around so long he was an archbishop who managed the expeditions um... On behalf of the church and the crown, and um, he was he was the um, manager whom the explorers all loved to hate because he was a very manipulative and devious person, a, a cold-blooded bureaucrat. Uh, Columbus despised him. He had many altercations with Columbus, and when it was uh, Magellan's turn, a generation later, there was Fonseca still in place and still thinking of ways to undermine Magellan's authority. He did that by whittling down Magellan's authority and by placing a number of special Spanish captains under him, including Juan de Cartagena, who was believed to be Fonseca's illegitimate son. It was not uncommon for the clergy in those days to find advantageously place their offspring.
2: And a couple of other captains were loyal to Fonseca, and as you mentioned, mutiny was uh, uh, pretty constant, uh, at least uh, for the first part of the voyage, anyway.
3: Uh, It was the first thing that Magellan had to deal with um, because... Um, his uh, Spanish captains felt that the course he was following was so risky that it would get them all killed and they assumed that, well, he's Portuguese so he must be doing this to, to further the Portuguese agenda by driving the entire expedition, which was five ships and 260 men, to destruction and uh, at first they, they simply dissed him. They wouldn't salute him in the way that he thought was appropriate but then the, the mutinies, one after the other, became more and more violent and uh, resulted Uh, several months later in a very violent uh, mutiny where the mutineers actually captured three out of the five ships in the fleet, uh, and Magellan, showing a masterful tactical ability to handle this crisis, won them all back uh, within a a day's time, but not at the cost of life and uh, some considerable brutality. And considerable
2: brutality. Obviously, Magellan, as you point out, a a pretty nifty tactician when he needed to be, a pretty uh, courageous man, and uh, unquestionably a great navigator, a great leader,
3: but truly brutal man at times. Yes, a great man, but probably not a great dinner guest and uh, he was brutal because uh in a way that was the custom of the times um, He was authorized to um Regard mutineers uh, with uh, you know with regard you know take on their mutiny with lethal force and that 's what he did. He tortured uh, several of the mutineers he executed several of them, he put their heads on pikes as warnings to other members of the crew that this would happen to them if they mutinied and uh, that was not out of the ordinary. he was within his rights to to do that however, um, that worked against him because one of the ships uh, filled with Spaniards actually mutinied again, after that mutiny, and sailed all the way back to Spain and spread horror stories about this madman run amok, Ferdinand Magellan, uh, who was torturing and murdering Spanish officers. Uh, Let's talk with uh, Shiro, who's with us from Akron, Ohio.
0: Yes,
4: uh, Neil. Yes, Um, I think a lot of Guamanians are happy that he met his death
3: in the philippines
2: well Lawrence bergring you do point out there are no contemporary accounts of uh, of the peoples on uh, mm. whom uh, the mm. uh, this voyage had an impact mm. but you do write a lot about what uh, mm.
3: what magellan did both good and bad These comments are fascinating because uh, we only know about Magellan's voyage from European sources, from official sources and diarists and eyewitnesses and early historians, and we don't have texts from uh, the various indigenous people that he visited around the world, especially in the South Pacific. And, And this comment that your listener made is so interesting because even today, every year on the anniversary of Magellan's death in April, the Filipinos stage a large Outdoor pageant on the island of Mactan, reenacting the death of Magellan because he was hacked to bits by a Filipino uh, army and uh, he, uh, his, his death is is cheered by the throng, um, so clearly, in the Philippines, even though the Philippines quickly became uh, an early and very important outpost of Christianity in the Pacific. Um, uh, the Filipino sentiment uh, is against Mage- Magellan, who's seen as an invader. However, I should point out that no matter where he went in the Pacific, he received a different, uh, different receptions in, d- in different places. Guam was a critical stopover in his voyage because it was his first landfall after 98 days of crossing the Pacific, and uh, he didn't know where he was going at that point. He had no maps. He had no idea how big the Pacific was. He thought he would have been to China and back by then, um, and Mary was still only in the middle of the Pacific. Other islands that he went to, he received a very enthusiastic welcome, um, and sometimes he played the uh, indigenous people skillfully, and sometimes he blew it. He terrified them with his guns. Um, his men became violent or explo- exploited their women. Um, so the, the, uh, uh, he changed his approach uh, as time went on. He became more interested in religious conversion, even though that was not part of his royal charter as his journey continued. Actually, that was what led more or less directly to his death. Uh, was the issue of religious conversion? So the relations between Magellan and the people he encountered about around the world are really fascinating, and and we don't know enough because we we can glean hints from what the Europeans say of their account, those eyewitnesses. But you know, I wish we had those texts from the other side. Uh, Lawrence Bergreen, I have to ask you. I mean, you've
2: written earlier books about uh, Louis Armstrong, James A. G. Irving, Berlin. Your last book was about the uh, a voyage to Mars,
3: Magellan. Where did you get the Magellan? Well, um, actually, that thematically came out of the Mars book, because many of the NASA scientists uh, talked about Magellan as a precedent for their plan for exploring the solar system. Also, in general, when I write about people, I like to write about people who broke the limits of what people of their era thought was possible to do. Louis Armstrong did that in his realm of music, and Magellan did that in his realm of navigation.
2: Here's an email we got from Scott in Phoenix, Arizona. I disagree that Magellan's voyage is the more significant. Yes, he covered more ground and charted more area, but Columbus set off across the ocean facing much more of the unknown. Magellan knew he would not fall off the edge or be attacked by great ocean-going monsters. He also knew that there was, in fact, land out there to find. All facts, Columbus could not know for sure.
3: Um, I, I really I really don't agree with that. I wish I could. Um, yes, Columbus was earlier and he was a boyhood hero of Magellan's and directly inspired him. Magellan read about the early accounts including those written by Columbus of Columbus's journey but uh, the scale of the, uh, of, of, the, of Magellan's expedition was so much larger, and, and the unknowns were greater because uh, nobody really knew what was going on on the other half of the globe and, uh, or really how to get there. Um, he had a hard time, for example, finding a crew willing to go along with him, and he only accomplished that goal by, first, in the first place, not telling them where he was going, and then uh, resorting to bringing peoples of about oh, ten different countries um, aboard his ship, which which was difficult because they had difficulty getting along and even difficulty communicating with each other.
2: You're right. You say that he didn't tell the sailors where he was going. The name of the of the armada was the Armada of the Moluccas. Uh, they knew <laughs> they were going to the Spice Islands.
3: I don't think they realized. <laughs> I don't think they realized what the name was until they were well underway. Also, you know, one of the questions I asked myself was why would any sailor of that era go on this voyage? Or any other, because the risk of returning was so was so high. Um, because Magellan's expedition, almost everybody died. Four out of the five ships were lost, and only 18 of the original men made it back uh, three years later. So why would anybody go? And uh, it was it was partly the lure, it was partly greed, uh, the lure of great riches, and it was partly because they were desperate men. They were fleeing uh, jail, for one. Crime or another, um, or they were misfits. Um, many, some of them might have been conversos, in other words, secret Jews who had been expelled from Spain during the Inquisition. We don't know because they they all changed their names. Um, so they so they went for a variety of motives, and, and not all of them were entirely above board.
2: Uh, let's talk with uh, David, who's with us from Jamestown, New York.
5: Hello,
4: Neil. Hello, Lawrence. Hello. Hello. I have a question concerning your. Uh admission of the 18 people that had completed the voyage,
3: mm-hmm.
2: to
4: my recollection, and I'm citing, I believe, Daniel Borston in his 80s bestseller, The Discoverers, And I think he made brief mention, if I can recall correctly, of his valet, a Moluccan slave, being credited to the only person that started the voyage from its beginning port to complete the voyage to its final destination. And I'm calling to find... How, what information or what input you have in this regard
3: um, Enrique, who was uh, magellan 's personal slave, is one of the really fascinating uh, footnotes to the voyage and i 'm glad your caller brought that up um, Enrique actually uh, did did the the fleet great harm uh, shortly after Magellan was killed. He betrayed the fleet to another chieftain in the Philippines um, who lured uh, a number of the officers aboard and murdered. I can't remember the number now, it was about 20 of them, Mm -hmm. um, at a banquet Um, and uh, this was just after Enrique considered himself to be liberated because Magellan was killed and a couple of Magellan's officers verbally abused him and Enrique wasn't happy about that. after that, uh, we don't really know what happened to Enrique. He's, he's lost to history. He did not continue aboard the fleet, obviously, with the survivors on, on the way back to Spain. You could say if he really first came from that part of the world, he might have been the first person to uh, complete a circumnavigation. But we don't really know exactly where he came from. And it seemed to me, and there could be different opinions about this, including um, uh, Daniel Borson, who's obviously a very, very distinguished historian, um, that it was Magellan's expedition all along, and Enrique came with him because Magellan brought him.
2: I wanted to ask you about the uh, aftermath of this voyage. How did uh, the world view, how did our, our view of the world, to begin with, change as a result of Magellan's voyage?
3: Well, I think for uh, scholars and cosmographers of that day, we we finally had proof, they finally had proof, that it really was one world, because there had been some doubt about uh, really what was the nature of the world that we lived in. Keep in mind that they still thought that our world was the center of the solar system, if not the universe, and that the, the sun revolved around us. Um, they also realized that a number of myths that had been long-held myths uh, were disproved. For example, mermaids, various sea monsters, boiling seas at the, at the equator. Um, the fleet crisscrossed the equator four times and pretty much disproved that one uh, fairly effectively. Um, and But the main question they were asking was a commercial question. Uh, and that was, can they get to the Spice Islands over water and make that a commercially viable route? and the answer was maybe um, after Magellan's voyage which by the way was a considered a success because the survivors did bring back enough clothes to make a profit King Charles sent a number of other missions in fact he just about bankrupt the Spanish crown doing it but none of those subsequent missions succeeded and in the end, King Charles and the Spanish crown became so desperate for money that he wound up uh, selling, giving, giving up all claim to the Spice Islands to his main rival, the Portuguese.
2: And the other thing you write about, though, is that this was evidence of a new way of thinking in the world. Yes. That Magellan's trip really, you know, it, it didn't look back on uh, old revelations or old ancient
3: uh, beliefs. Uh, he went out to look for himself. I think, Neil, the concept that you were mentioning is autopsis, to go and see for oneself, from which our modern word autopsy uh, derives. Uh, Magellan was uh, really our first um, objective uh, uh, explorer and uh, didn't rely on... Theoretic, even mathem- even rigorous mathematical projections of what the globe might be like. He went to explore for himself. When he was looking for the strait, um, he, he couldn't rely on a theory. He had to find it, and then he had to go through it himself to try and navigate that incredible maze of, uh, of tidal estuaries himself. So it was a different approach to exploration. Lawrence Bergreen, thanks so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, really a pleasure.
2: Uh, Nice on Columbus Day to talk about uh, the age of discovery and one of the great navigators who ever lived. Lawrence Bergreen's book is Over the Edge of the World, the Magellan's Terrifying Circumnavigation of the Globe.
1: I'd like to thank Bob Acosta.
0: Although, see documents and settings, Robert Acosta, my my documents.
1: If you'd like to hear the entire interview, you can go to npr.org and do a search on the word Magellan. The interview is by Neil Conan, and it was done on October 13, 2003. I will put a link uh, in the next announcement. I have some suggested questions to get things started. First, comparing the political and economic gains made by the voyages of Vasco de Gama, O-Tab, document Portugal,
2: O-Tab, and the a World view of History Olympus
1: for Spain, was the accomplishments of Ferdinand Magellan all that important considering the negative impact it had on the Spanish treasury. Second, dealing with the character of Ferdinand Magellan, would you hire him? The author describes him as being considered a tyrant, a traitor, a visionary, and a hero. Would you want him to lead an expensive expedition? A negative Amazon reviewer claims that Ferdinand Magellan should not be given credit as the first person to circumnavigate the globe. He claims that it should be a Basque Juan Sebastian Delcano, who was the head of the expedition from Brunei on, bringing the one remaining ship into Seville, who should be given credit as he actually made it around the entire globe. Finally, did you enjoy the book? Did you like it as an adventure story or as a
0: history of the age of discovery? Well, Don, those are great questions. Uh, let me deal with the hiring. Would I hire him to lead uh, an expedition? No, but I would hire him. to But he'd have to be on a, on a ship almost by himself. He had great perseverance. He knew what he was trying to find, like the straits. Uh, uh, he did. He did do a lot of. He's very creative, but he was really a, not a pleasant guy. Not a guy you'd bring over for dinner. He was brutal. Um, I guess it would depend on the times. If it was the 1500s, yes. But now in, in the corporate world, no. I wouldn't do it. But I do admire his perseverance uh, greatly.
6: Uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same as Bob, I don't know if I'd hire him or not. I was thinking the same thing about him getting credit for circumnavigating the globe. He didn't actually do that, although it was his expedition which is maybe why he got credit. And I'd also like to say I really liked the book. I honestly did not know much of anything about So this was really informative, interesting, and uh, it was just a great book. Um, this is Barbara. I wanted to say I truly enjoyed this book immensely. I thought it was adventurous. I thought it was um, mysterious. I thought it was, um, history-wise, I really learned a lot. I didn't really know a heck of a lot about it. And I think a man of that time fit in um Exactly where he should, because most of the um, men, higher men in that time, they were all um, they were all very cruel, and naturally it would be not he would not fit in as Bob said now, but in that time he certainly would fit in. Um, so, if, like Bob said, I would hire him in that time because he he was very bright and he knew exactly where to go and what to do. So I thought it was a great book, and I enjoyed it.
5: Hello, this is Gary Wood from Lansing, Michigan. Well, I think probably based on the way things were back then, I suppose I would hire him. But uh, I think that uh, being a tyrant uh, is is not a good thing. But uh, maybe if he was a good leader, I would would emphasize that. But uh, I didn't realize it back when I was studying history in school. But but maybe if. If all of this hadn't happened, maybe this world as we know it wouldn't be what it is. I mean, that's that changed everything that we know about uh, the world in general, this this whole thing between, with him and Columbus and all the explorers. You know,
1: I thought at first that was overrated, but, but do you know, as uh, King uh, John Carlos sent five fleets, including Sebastian Cabot and then... Well, uh, Cortez from Mexico sent a ship out that the scurvy kept getting him. And Guy Cano, or the uh, uh, fellow last mentioned, the Basque navigator, he was sent on one of them. And they actually made it through the straits of Magellan. And then they all he died. He, he uh, inherited the, a, he wasn't made admiral, but he became admiral when the cap, all the captains died. But he only lived five days as admiral. The economy. So they, they. I don't think they. I don't know if they ever made it to the Spice Islands, or the Portuguese captured the, the remnants. But uh, uh, King Carlos uh, lost his shirt on all these expeditions.
0: Yeah, he sure did. Don, I wanted to ask you about mutiny. Now, you know, I read you know, enough British history where, boy, no matter how bad the captain was, um, the, 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 the crown backed the captain pretty much. Um, have the rules were the rules of mutiny? I guess they weren't employed yet. I mean, do you, could you tell us more about that, or could anybody? I think the one thing is, of course, you
1: you come home back with a shipload of gold or cloves. <laughs> they're going to look at things a little differently. But it was kind of up in the air. All right, there was a lot of politics, and that, and I think the British Navy did take a pretty hard, more so than maybe the uh, Spanish, and uh, maybe that's why they did. Eventually ruled the waves, but um, uh, I wondered about that because all the people that be- were really loyal to King Carlos um, got put in jail, and it was the father—it uh, was Magellan's father-in-law—that finally got him
0: out, and one guy got rewarded. But they got some pretty rough treatment when they got back. Yeah, because Magellan, early on, I didn't read the whole book yet, but I'm going to. It is a good one. It's both an adventure and a historical novel, in my opinion. There is adventure, and uh, that keeps me going, and the history also. But, um, yeah, uh, maybe, uh, oh, uh, I was going to say something. Oh, yeah, uh, Magellan kept saying, I have the authority given to me by the king. And it kind of slowed down the mutineers. They hesitated, but they kept going anyway. And I thought, and I think to have uh, Juan Cano be given the credit is nitpicking. I mean, uh, Accessible World will always be Pat Price. That's my book, as long as I live. She gets the credit. Okay, she's not here now, but she gets the credit for it. And I think you got to give Magellan the credit.
5: Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe there was a lot of resistance to all of this uh, exploration back in the beginning because there was probably, I would think, there was a lot of people that were in favor of the status quo, the things being as they are, and maybe they didn't, they didn't, people resist change and they didn't, they they were happy with things the, the way they were. They didn't want to find any of the new world. I mean, some of the some of the, the uh, establishment people.
6: Um, I just wanted to say that what I found fascinating uh, in this book was all the different customs of these um, natives on all these different islands. They were so. Uh,
0: Way out. I mean, they were just unbelievable. I really thought that was fascinating. Well, the land of the giants. The giants. I felt sorry for the giants. He, he shackled them, and then oh boy, you know the the clash of cultures, right? And um, anyway, eight foot. Did they really stand that tall? That's amazing. Uh, it was really. I agree with you, Barbara. Different cultures on every in every region. And and maybe even every island, like in the Philippines, some islands greeted greeted, uh, him, the natives greeted him very well, and uh, one island didn't.
4: I found the sexual practices of some of the natives in the Philippines was uh, quite eye-opening and jaw-dropping. It was pretty way out there, I tell you.
6: Oh, yes, you could say that again. That was the bells that they had sewn into their private places. That was extraordinary.
0: I know I'm going to get to that part. I'll keep reading.
6: Yeah, I thought those little asides were good, too. He had a lot of nice little asides just about life on a ship in general and how they did things
5: on the ship.
0: Don, I think we took care of hiring, I think. Um, Was your other question the economic impact of Magellan's trip? That was... And I would say, uh, you know, yeah, they had a great, I can open the Spice Islands. It, it, okay, it took them a, a while to get expeditions around the world, but it showed another through the Straits of Magellan that you could, you could get to the Pacific. Uh, I think it had great economic impact eventually. Maybe not at the moment, but eventually. I think the countries like Portugal and, you know, um, Spain and then later England realize that there's, there's money in the Indies. There's wealth.
1: You know, I guess getting back a little bit to hiring him, but uh, when I first, first part of the book, it just reminded me a lot of people I knew that could never hold a job. He he went to India, and I, I just read in Wikipedia this mor- afternoon that uh, he, he lost, maybe it did mention in the book that he, he had been commissioned as captain, and then he took off in, without authorization with the ship going east from India, and so they... they Took his commission away, and he went back, and then he got the king mad at him in Morocco. He accused of trading with the enemy and a few things like that. So, he he had he had problems, but he was a good navigator
0: because nobody else was able to do it. <laughs> I mean, what is he? What, was he forty when he did? Am I getting that right? And that's really old in those days. But he he lived a wild life. I mean, you know, he he was incredible, and the trouble he got into. You know, in Portugal, just he was a man without a country. Neither the Portuguese nor the Spanish really trusted him.
4: I would think to be a captain from maybe the 1492 till say uh, into the 1800s, you would have to pretty be pretty um, ruthless uh, and a very authoritarian sort of to hold a tight ship together. To, get everybody to cooperate and and you know pretty much not be very lenient and nice about it but just be very authoritarian uh, one of the things in the book that really fascinated me was uh, the story of scurvy I had some type of idea when I started reading what kind of what scurvy was but you know it gave me a really an in-depth Understanding of what scurvy is and how you prevent it and stuff.
0: Well, when did uh, Lynn? When did lime, or is it lime that they take? Uh, when was that introduced? Was that the British that introduced it, or I haven't read that part yet. I'm sorry, but I will. Uh, but it, is it uh, when was it introduced to prevent scurvy?
4: Yeah, they. I don't really remember the, the details, but it got to be where the British was because they were trying different things and it wasn't really in a, any type of scientific uh experimental basis back in them days of Magellan it was just you know some people got this one thing and it seemed to help and other people's didn't get it and most people didn't get it and I I really had no idea that it ravaged the body and and the connective tissues uh, and just made you pretty much fall apart, starting with the gums and your teeth, and and all the other joints and stuff. But um, one thing that fascinated me was the um, metabolic um, influence that scurvy had wasn't understood till 1936, I think they said, and I think it was the, the British that finally clued on to the uh, to citrus. And, and limes, and also. I, th-
1: I think Captain Cook, which was about a hundred years later, he sailed, you know, pretty much through the Pacific and all that, and he never lost anybody because he had the, used the limes. I may be misremembering my history, but it didn't become commonly adopted for the longest time in the British Navy, even. But the, they got the name as Limeys because that's what they were doing.
6: I remember that Magellan and the higher. Um, Officers there. He had a basket that was contained a lot of jars, and he, that he was eating that the lower class of the boat was not eating, and it contained uh, citrus fruit in these jars. And Magellan was, you know, he had them at his um, for, for him to eat, and but but not the uh, sailors. So they believe that's why he didn't get
1: scurvy. I think it was guava jelly. I'm sorry I missed that, Don. I think it was a guava jelly I'd heard once. And I don't
0: know if they said so in the book, though. Well, my, my mind alludes. I, I can't think of your other questions, Don. I know the economic and the firing. And uh, if you want to look at them again, and make sure we cover them. I, I like your question approach.
1: Yeah, I, I think the last... I'm trying to remember what the last question <laughs> was, but... Um, Next time, I'll write them down, too. But um, uh, I wonder, if, uh, part of his behavior towards the end, some people think that Magellan went gaga, uh, going around and trying to convert everybody and instead of heading for the um, Spice Islands. And, uh, but I think he was worried about facing up to the, the uh, Spanish court in, in Fonseca because he left uh, his... Uh, his illegitimate son marooned on an island in the Atlantic, yeah, where he died, of course. And, uh, uh, and I wonder what would happen to him if he got back. If he he would have brought all three ships
0: back, I think. And he'd, if they were full of cloves, he'd have been all right, maybe. Yeah, maybe he was trying to make his peace with the church because he knew the uh, the bishop would really get him, you know. And uh, already he was attacking him. And then that one ship, I didn't get there yet. Where where they they escaped and went back to uh, uh, Spain and really ripped him one side and down the other. i mean, see how bad he was, you know. Um, and then you remember you're dealing. Why would a sailor go? I think the, uh, Bergreen was right to say ask that question. Uh, the superstitions, you know, the average sailor didn't know uh, that you know Bart Mercator and all these things. Uh, they they follow the captain and the officers. Uh, but the average sailor was probably terrified. We're going to sail over the edge of the earth. You know,
6: there was an awful lot of, uh, speaking about economics, there was an awful lot of gold on some of these islands that they visited. And they didn't seem to be turned on about for this gold um, as far as trying to get it and bring it back to Spain. I mean, it was just the spices, but the, there was a lot of gold on these
1: islands. Had Cortez found the, uh, that's, I was continuing to look that up, had Cortez conquered the uh, Aztecs yet, you know, when they started bringing back all that gold in large amounts, and they had a terrific
0: inflation in Spain. I think 1519, Don, did he, did he not do it around there? So he may have just, you know, just been doing it. And yeah, they had great inflation because he did bring gold back. They plundered. In fact, the difference in empire building is the Spanish plundered where the British invested and stayed and sent and colonized you know, especially the New World, they sent uh, people here, the Spanish wanted to plunder and get the gold and go home, many of them, and uh, their arm probably was the missions, you know, setting up missions across the empire where they could, but uh, I think the British had the right idea. The Portuguese in India
1: did, were burning people at the stake. I had read somewhere there on Goa or wherever it was, they were talking about the Smoke rising from at the peninsula there. In a book I read once, and uh, uh, the British were smart. They stayed out of the religious thing, and they, they they got the whole continent there.
0: Now Portugal was kind of a little country, squeezed what Spain and who? I'm trying to think of the other country on the other side. But they were in a tough spot. You know, they you had the papal bull. You know, the, the Treaty of Tordesillas, is it uh, that split the world in 1494? I don't, after a while, the British called it ba- the papal bull. They weren't going to listen to it. Well, Portugal's
1: right at the end of the peninsula, the Iberian Peninsula. And there's a range of mountains, I think, between it and Spain. Not very high ones, according to Sharpe's rifles, anyway. But <laughs> anyway, uh, they... Uh, uh, and that's why... Well, now, we won't get into Wellington. But um, uh, I don't know what Spain consisted of because uh, he was... Gotten himself in debt, becoming the King Carlos, and becoming Holy Roman Empire, and he had a he was ruling Brussels or had some influence on Brussels. His aunt was regent of Brussels, and so on. So he, they, they were a much bigger, much bigger territory, and they were both Catholics. So I think the Pope went where the money was.
5: Uh, I missed part of the first part of the interview, I suppose, but uh, there was something about, uh, that was mentioned about the fact that. Uh, the A uh, lot of these explorers were uh, span uh, were span- from Spain, but they were in- involved with the Jewish. Uh, they were Jewish in the, the Spanish Inquisition. They were trying to get away from that. I don't know. I could be wrong about that whole thing. But uh, I know probably Magellan was Spanish, but I would think like when Columbus, uh, I hope I'm not getting off the track, but when Columbus uh, discovered America, uh, um went around the world. I think he was Italian. I don't think he was Jewish was here my am I, my am I off base.
4: Yeah, um Columbus was from Genoa in Italy, and uh, you may have misspoke there Magellan uh, was from Portugal. Um, and I, I think in the in the interview, they said that there was like ten different ethnic groups and there was even an Englishman on there. Um, and I think the Englishman was a was a gunner, and that's one thing I found out. And I'm kind of confused about. Um, in the book, they were talking about, you know, Magellan was at the top, and then they had the captains of the ships, and then they had the pilots of the ships, and they had a bosun I'm still trying to figure out what the bosun did. Uh, so if y'all could kind of fill me in on that, and then they had gunners, and and then sailors, and then under sailors, and stuff like that. I felt the, the ranking was pretty interesting.
6: They even had a man called the barber, remember him? And he was also the medic,
0: also. Barbers were medics uh, way back. The, bo- uh, the bosun would be the the, quarter ma- the master of arms. He was in there somewhere, too. In fact, in one of their things, he came along. Magellan, Magellan was a good, uh, what am I thinking of? Man of strategy. I mean, he, he sent uh, the, uh, the master of the arms in the, in the longboat to show authority that this man is, you know, you don't mess with him. And uh, so, yeah, the, the hierarchy was very interesting to read about of the ship. And Gary, the Jewish, say, he said there were some Jews fleeing, probably the Inquisition or whatever, who, who were on the ships. I forget what he called them. And he said, but we don't know how many, you know, or whatever, but many different ethnic groups, for whatever their reason, You know, whatever their motive, he said, we're on those ships. Called them secret Jews. And, uh,
1: of course, when they started this, uh, Queen Isabella and so on, they they were allowed to convert. But if you had a lot of money, they they seemed to find
0: a reason that you weren't really converted and got your money. It's all about money, Don, I think. Imagine, though, had Carlos not gotten in debt, Spain would have really been strong, wouldn't they? I mean, uh, they were there, and the, the British are going to beat them in 1588 and all that. But Spain was already faltering, as we know. Uh, and uh, but had uh, King Carlos been able to pull it together uh, better, uh, he did try to send expeditions, but they failed. Even Ocano failed. He
1: he made they said he made a lot of navigational errors, but he did get through the straits, you know. And uh, but he didn't have that guava jelly, <laughs> and they they pretty much died on on the way. I wonder, did Sebastian Cabot is he the guy that explored North
0: America too? Yeah, in 1497, he touched on North America. Did he not for England? And he was a Portuguese guy though, named Sebastian Cabot. He was. I don't think he was British. And he came in 1497 to America. Went up and down the coast a little bit. Uh, One place I maybe people have different. When he was. um, after
1: the second, I think it was after the second mutiny, when he started torturing the people, he really went in for the, his astro, this astronomer and pilot, who, who played a very minor role in the, he kind of was, he, he could have claimed he was coerced into doing it, and I don't know because he was also a similar occupation as as him, but he he got the Strapado, I think the only one that got tortured with the Strapado, where they tie your hands behind your back, and then pull you up with a pulley and drop you and then pull you up and then put weights on your legs and do the same thing. And He survived it, though. I
0: thought the funny one was how they went to the bathroom hanging over that boom and the, the, the throne there and some of them fell overboard. <laughs> I mean, that's asking a lot.
5: They were barbaric back then, the way they treated people.
0: You know,
6: you have to be barbaric because think about the things that they had to endure, such as all the station in their food the worms and the maggots and and what they had to eat and all the spoiled stuff uh, it was just unbelievable
1: yeah i think it was just in, intolerable uh, i think that kind of s- started out where they were just coasting ships and they'd come into port every few days and so on but they didn't have hammocks they hadn't developed a hammock and uh they had to sleep find a place to sleep there was no sleeping quarters and uh, that was uh, really rough, and uh, I could just imagine the weather when they got down near um, where they lost one ship and down there because I remember reading perfect storm you get these enormous waves coming in and that
0: must have been pretty rough and the tide wasn't it in the straits twenty four feet high or something? can you imagine, and the storms they said they're awful, you're right, and uh they were really brave. I mean, I don't care, and the fact that 18 men did get through is a miracle.
5: Well, you had to fight all that to to uh, make it better for people that come that coming uh, on the scene later on in life. I think
0: probably. Yeah, you're right, but I don't I don't think they were thinking that nobly, Gary, as, as you are, and that's fine. I, I I'm on your side on that one, but uh, I think they just. For whatever reasons, they they were they went on these ships and they wanted to live if they could. But I don't I don't think they were thinking the rest of us, but they were pioneers and they deserve credit for that.
4: But the Strait of Magellan down at the tip of South America, that must be some heck of a navigation to get through that with all the, I guess, the competing winds and the currents at the end of the world down there. And I think later on, the... The Spanish finally um, decided, instead of going down through the down and around through the Strait, they went to the uh, oh, where the Isthmus of Panama is now, and also in, in a little bit above that in Mexico, and landed there on the Pacific side, and transported their uh, treasures that they got from the from the Spice Islands and from the Philippines. Uh, to the to the east side of the isthmus, and then uh, put them back on a ship and send them back uh, further east to back to the uh, back to the home country.
0: Yeah, they, they they plowed through the jungles there as they could. Don, is that Cape Horn then in the Straits or what? what did we, where's Cape Horn that we always hear about?
4: I think Cape Horn is. Uh, I get them all mixed up too. Cape, Cape of Good Hope and Cape Horn, and I get the two.
0: Cape of Good Hope
1: is af- Africa, and uh, Cape Horn is uh, at the bottom of South America. And remember, they always went around the Horn to California in the gold rush days. And, of course, they didn't go through the Straits. They went around. I guess there's a large triangular island that makes part the southern part of the Straits there, and they go around that way out into in the... Um, Antarctic Ocean, I suppose, and it's just pretty rough, and then come back up the Chilean coast.
4: Yeah, I can understand uh, the, the name Cape of Good Hope because it's, you know, rather optimistic, but uh, any ideas on the origins
0: of of the
1: horn? I think it's the shape of the continent, how it, per- it goes
0: down to sort of it looks like a horn. I think. Yeah, that's what I've, I've heard, too. I think Don's right on that.
1: Well, um, I think we need to talk about what we're going to read next month and for for September and October uh, uh, in uh, I think it's about five of I believe uh, the book is collapse uh, I just, let, let's see if I can hold this down and read with one hand here <laughs> it's collapse how how uh, societies choose to to fail or succeed and it's by Jared Diamond, and uh, it's DB five nine nine zero, and we'll be putting that in the announcement. It's read by uh, Ted Stoddard, if anybody knows him. And uh, uh, it it's a follow up to his original book by uh, ger- Germs. Uh, what is it? Uh, st- germ Steelin. <laughs> anyways, uh, guns, s- s- Germs and Steel, and uh, which he said that. Uh, he picked out the factors that caused societies to succeed. He's now going in and going to fail. And he got some real interesting description of what really happened on Easter Island, the, um, uh, the Anastasi Indians, Greenland Norse, you know, where they starved to death there, and so on. And so he get, and an- an- analyzes that with some modern cultures. And for Sep- for October. Yeah, so October, it's Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World and, uh, by, uh, Jack Weatherford and, uh, read by Bill Wallace. It's 14 hours. That's a nice short one here. And, um, I think anybody, I'm sure anxious for suggestions for any other books. I've, whether we want to go to, to ancient history or talk about World War II. Well,
0: first, I don't know, Don, but first, uh, Collapse sounds really interesting. Easter Island, my goodness. Uh, that sounds like a heck of a good book, Don. And Genghis Khan always amazes me as great, the great administrator. Of course, a lot of it is do as I say or I'll kill you, but he did um, give regions of the world that he conquered to his relatives and set up administrative regions. So I think it's great that you chose that. Yeah, you can, you can go anywhere you want, World War II or, uh, you know, whatever.
6: Um, didn't you mention also um, something about Marco Polo um, that may be interesting also, maybe in a,
0: in a different month? I agree with Barbara that for Green, I'd love to read about Marco Polo. There's so many myths about him, you know. And Some say he didn't get to China. Some I heard he invented spaghetti or discovered it or something in China, not in Italy. But I, I find him very interesting. So whatever you want to do, Don. And there's a lot of books. I, I think it's still... I wouldn't just call it uh, historical fiction or whatever. You know, study some of the kings, some of the various kings. Um, true true life stories, though, is what I'd like to see biographies or whatever. Anyway, that's my opinion. I'd like to learn more about the kings too. I've kind of stayed away from
1: them, so that that's an idea. If I can find a Marco Polo book by a different author than going we kind of try to avoid. I guess we don't have to stick to it, but uh, to, to having books by the same author. Because <laughs> I've interested that Guns, Germs, and Steel now, but uh, it's not on DB. It's not on the Bard, but um, it's um, uh, we can get into some of the kings too. I I hadn't thought of that, and, um, and uh, I don't hear a lot for Eng- Greek history. I think we we'll, we'll go towards the, either the kings, some of the kings of England, or um, France, or whatever, and uh, see what can do.
6: Yeah, I agree. That would be interesting, the kings also. They were pretty barbaric people also.
0: Yeah, and uh, remember, Nan is, Nan's thing is fiction. You can go anywhere. You have a wide latitude, in my opinion, a lot of places that you can take us. And uh, so I, I think it's good. I really enjoy this. I wish I could get more time to re- finish them, but I eventually do. And... Uh, I appreciate this hearing it gets, makes me want to read about those bells there that Lynn's talking about i'm going to keep reading I'd uh,
4: like to go maybe in the direction of uh maybe try and find some some popes, not some twentieth century popes but uh around like louis the well some of the popes around um, um magellan's time or or something like that uh they seem like to be pretty interesting characters.
1: I think I saw one by Constantine. Is that too early? He wasn't a pope, though, was he? He was just the first Christian <laughs> emperor.
5: Yeah, it seems like I remember hearing about that. Constantine was the first uh, Roman Empire uh, Roman emperor uh, that was uh, Christian. Before that, they were they were non-pagan or non-Christian, more like pagans uh, before Constantine, I think. I agree with Lynn
0: on the popes, not the 20th century, I'm not enthralled, but there were some real (laughs) interesting popes in the past.
5: I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but there was a book
6: in Bard that was about the Medichus, and I
5: think one of them became pope and then appointed their family
1: members, a lot of different high up posts, I'm not sure. I thought they all did, but I think I saw something, I'll, I'll check that out, yeah.
6: Hi, um, I think it would be really fantastic if we could just stick to um, sort of historical books, um, and, and really truly no fiction, um, it, because I mean this book that we just read is really fantastic. We learned a lot, and um, it would be fun to continue sort of going through different periods
3: of history.
1: I think uh, Nan wouldn't want me to do it either. No, we're going to stay It'd be strictly. Nonfiction and uh, as reliable as sources as we can get that's interesting. Uh, one book I'm not, I'll
4: recommend for further reading, I'm not sure if we want to discuss it here, um, uh, because I've read it twice, and to me it's, it's a short book uh, called Longitude as to how uh, they came across, uh, how they finally discovered, uh, well, not discovered, but um, they had a contest in England. Uh, Uh, to come up with a way to measure longitude. And a guy named George Harrison uh, finally developed a way. And he was pretty much a clockmaker and a tinkerer, and he just kept working at it. And they had a, what I found, the most interesting thing about the book was, it was a fascinating book because it had all these different characters. But uh, to me, it was a, the the king at the time had a, a contest, and he put up a chunk of money, you know, who could figure this thing out? Um, wins the prize. And sure enough, you know, later on, you know, like Lindbergh, um, who can fly across the ocean can, will win the prize. And today in our time, uh, uh, they have several contests out for technology. Um, who can do this or who can do that or uh, can, will win a prize.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, it's Nan. I, I lost track of time. I wanted to be here. Um, whatever you said about something I might not like, Don, don't worry about it. I I
6: rarely get uh, unhappy about that sort of thing, whatever it was.
0: All Nan wants you to do is read. Happy reading, she puts. Well, Don, we're near the end of the trail here. It's up to you. But officially, um, we probably should close it. If guys want to stay on, this is great. And, we should sure thank all of you guys for coming. You guys all contributed mightily, and, and I'm glad Ben was able to come, come in. But uh, no, she wants you to read, and we're doing, we're trying.
3: Uh, and I can second Lynn's uh, vote for that book, Longitude. Um, I, I didn't read it, but I saw a movie based on it or a TV show based on it, and it was wonderful.
4: Yeah, the, the, the book is uh, The Illustrated History of Longitude and uh I was one of the last books I read in print before my my eyesight went south and uh and it had all these interesting characters in it and uh and it and it, it's a short book it i don't know it's on the bard site, but, and I don't know how long it is, but I would think it would be less than eleven hours, maybe even less than that uh but uh it was it was fascinating to me.
0: Sounds great. I'm hope Don's got a lot of books here to consider on this recording, and we we sure appreciate that, guys. When you when you said longitude, I groaned. I didn't know if it was getting into, you know, compass reading and all that. But uh, you, you're making it sound great.
1: I can't find the
6: collapse book on the Bard site. Could you repeat the DB number or spell the author's
1: name? Totes here right now, but it's C O L L A P S E, and the author. Is uh Diamond, Jared Diamond, that may be able to easier to cheat G- J A R E D. And uh uh here it is oh, here I got it, and I'll give it to you right now. So I get to uh, here it is. Five nine nine zero. I should have remembered that. Five D B five nine nine zero. And uh Did I have the right author? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've been doing my research on him. And uh, there's another book like uh, the uh, Longitude, uh, almost the same thing on the guy that developed uh, geology and the mining. And he, he went broke, and the, the nobody, they didn't even let him in the science, the science society because well, he wasn't part of the peerage. And, uh, but they finally got his reward, I guess. But he was developed a job which helped him make fortunes in, in coal mining and so on, because they could predict where the coal seams went and how it worked. Well, I guess we better bring this to a close, and uh, I, I will look into longitude. Maybe that would be a good read for Christmas month. Have a short short book for then, and we've got November here to deal with, too. Okay, good night, everybody, and thank you all for coming. It's been real interesting.